The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning, everyone. Like Kimmy said, my name is Emily Crutcher, and I'm currently serving as campus staff at UT. Just came from on staff here, so it's been very lovely to see lots of um, familiar faces this morning. So this morning's scripture is from Hebrews 1, 1 through 14. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has, a, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels he has ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Emily. Good to be with you this morning. So my name is Kevin Twitt. I know many of you because my wife Wendy and I uh, attend here at Christ Pres Old Hickory. Um, Wow, 1989, Hal Farnsworth. Um, I actually was teaching a Sunday school class at Christ Community, um, college Sunday school class when Hal started RUF and I kept hearing about RUF and I kept hearing about some of the things he was talking about and I was like, wow, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta meet, meet this guy. And, um, and it was one of those interns, a guy named Ricky Jones who actually interned at Christ Pres um, with Stan Weber way, way back in those days, who actually is the guy who first began to explain to me what RUF was. Um, he thought he was trying to raise money. He didn't understand the music business or he would never have asked me for money back in those days. But I did hear, I was like, tell me more about RUF because that sounds like what I wanna do. I'm trying to do college ministry from a church 30 minutes away from the campuses, but you're talking about a campus minister embedded in the campus community, incarnational ministry. That sounds like what I need to be doing. So um, 
I always tell my interns, never make light of sitting down and be able to talk to people about what RUF is about and why we do what we do. So thank you so much, Cami, and everybody that helped put this service together um, for us to be able to do that. I actually was, was actually thinking it would be kind of fun to preach on Ananias and Sapphira. That was the, the topic for today. Originally, I got the email and Nathan was like, do you, do you know what passage you're gonna preach on? And uh, I thought that's actually pretty good because it's Reformation Sunday. And there's one thing that the Reformation was about and that that passage is about, and it's about taking the church seriously. RUF actually takes the church seriously, but if you want to hear um, that passage, you have to come back next week. Um, this morning, I'm going to be talking uh, from the passage that Emily just read, Hebrews chapter 1. And this is actually the way I opened this fall semester because this passage gets at the core things that RUF wants students to get. And it's this, God has spoken, but he's done more than speak. He sat down after he made purification for sins. And because of that, because of that, we can say to anything else that would vie for our heart's affection, are you kidding? <laughs> Jesus is the beautiful and believable one in our midst. I was thinking about this idea of trash-talking. Um, I actually Googled this morning, greatest trash-talkers. And you know what? Like instantly, NBA stories pop up, basketball stories. And um, Larry Bird was number one, but you know who was number two was Michael Jordan. And not all the trash-talking stories are appropriate to share at church. I'll just say that, right? Um, but this one is. I don't know if anybody remembers this story. So I was talking to Mike Ford here a minute ago, and he remembers this story of when Dikembe Mutombo came into the NBA. Now, I actually saw this guy one time. I actually st stood next to Dikembe one time. We were at RUF staff training in Atlanta, and I was standing outside in a, 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 a restaurant, and this guy, do you know, do you know who this guy is? Seven two, seven feet two inches, massive guy and he's just standing there at the curb waiting to get picked up and I'm like that's unbelievable I don't often look up to people but seven foot two well the, the, there's a, a very famous episode you can go look it up on YouTube and see the video of this Michael Jordan Michael Jordan standing at the free throw line looks at Dikembe closes his eyes swish and then he says welcome to the NBA now, that's, uh, that's trash talking. Can you imagine having the confidence to be able to say that to a guy who's seven foot two? But what I want to suggest is the scripture says we can have the confidence to say that to those things that buy for our heart's affection. Those things that we think are more beautiful, more reliable, more powerful than our God. I, I used to like to trash talk my son, Isaac. We'd play basketball and I'd be out there and you know, when I was less quick than he was, I was still taller than him. And some of y'all know my son, he's now 6'5", so I really can't trash talk and things have actually turned around. Now, whenever we play spike ball, he has an affectionate nickname for me. He likes to call me the turtle, <laughs> which is a reference to my reflexes. And the problem is, I can do nothing about it. I, I, can't, I can't trash talk back because I can't back it up. But if I could just go swish, 
Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what this passage is about. God has spoken. Christ has made purification for sins, and that past tense is important, as we're going to see. And therefore, therefore, I can say to the angels or to whatever else we think is more impressive, more powerful than God, come on, really? Seriously? Let's look at this passage, see how this works its way out as the writer of Hebrews is teaching these people who received this letter in a time of persecution and difficulty. Later the letter says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. But the clear implication is, it's coming. So this is not just a light little thing to smile about. This is life and death. This is life and death. Well, what do, what do we see here? What are the things that we need to know to be able to face life and death? The first is, God spoke. God spoke. Now, I know if you hang out in church settings, that just seems pretty basic, but I, I, I don't want us to lose sight of how amazing it is, not only that God spoke, but that God continues to speak. Now, the fact of God speaking is actually axiomatic to Christianity. If you think back with me, it all began with a word. Let it be, and it was. And everything fell apart when mankind refused to listen to a word from God. Do not eat. And then God pursues mankind with a word. Where are you? and a promise, he will crush the head of the serpent. Now this speaking shouldn't surprise us because speaking is basic to any relationship. And God created us not to be his little worker bees, but to be his cherished people that he loves and shares his life and his kingdom with. God has been speaking the same thing over and over for a long time, as our passage says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So God has been speaking a long time and we need to hear it. And the heart of what he's been saying over and over and over again is, I want to marry myself to you, my people. Now, as I said, we, we may take this for granted that God speaks and continues to speak, but we should always be amazed that the Bible goes beyond Genesis chapter 3. Because God said, if you eat, you will die. But then there's Genesis 4. And then there's Genesis 5 and 6. And every time God's people provoke God to his face, not listening to what he says, he continues to speak. God speaks continually to people who don't listen and instead follow their own judgments and evaluations. God keeps saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. And the writer of Hebrews says that speaking culminates in Christ. Culminates in Christ. The, 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 the point here is that God's speaking, this reiterated promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, comes to a glorious exclamation point in Jesus. 
In sending Jesus, God is saying, I would rather die than live without you. And no matter how much you spurn my love, I won't back down. As the Apostle Paul tells us, all the promises God has made are yea and amen in Christ. I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark this fall, and, and I love that passage where um, some of the Pharisees are like, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus says, how can they fast when the bridegroom is here? Right? All of this promise that I will marry myself to you, Jesus says, I'm here. I'm the bridegroom and I'm here. Now this really changes how you read the Bible. One of the things we've done at Belmont RUF for years, and I know a lot of the other RUF chapters do this as well, is freshman Bible study, we often use Sally um, Lloyd-Jones's Jesus Storybook Bible. Because I find a lot of students have maybe grown up in church, but they really don't understand the Old Testament. I love the way she puts it in the introduction to that book. She says, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. That is what it means for God to speak. God has spoken, continues to speak to us through his word, but the question we have to wrestle with this morning is, are we listening? We do need to ask the question, what kind of relationship do we think we have if we never listen to what he has to say? Listen, God speaks not just because he likes bossing people around, but because he wants to have a relationship with us. He speaks. He speaks. But God does more than speak. And that is good news. <laughs> because if we don't listen to what he has to say, and if we're honest, we, we don't often listen to what he has to say, then we need more than just him telling us again and again and again how we're to live. And that gets us to the next thing in our passage here, Jesus sat down. You know what a big deal that is? See, Jesus is not just a good teacher. It's not actually even his teaching that makes Christianity unique or important. Tim Keller said at one time, it, you know, every religion has events and has teaching, but Christianity is the one religion where the events are central. The teaching without the events is, is not real Christianity. What Jesus did is so important. Christianity is about a bloody cross and an empty tomb. The point here, the writer of Hebrews says, is that he didn't just make salvation available if we kind of add our good works or add our you know, faith or whatever, no. He finished the work of making purification for sins, and then he sat down. And he sat down because he finished the work of dying in the place of real sinners. And as I said, the tense is so important. He finished the work. Redemption was accomplished at the cross. And when we come to put our hope and trust in Jesus, we're trusting in the finished work of Christ applied to us. There's no sense in which we contribute to the making purification for our sins because that happened 2,000 years ago. We weren't here, we had nothing to do with it. 
That's what grace is about. And this is vital to know for living and for dying. And it's vital to know when we are suffering. One of the Puritans said this, that if we don't understand justification, the idea that we are made beautiful in God's sight because Jesus lived and died in our place, then every trial becomes a double trial. It becomes an opportunity for us to wonder what God thinks about us. But you see, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, as you are about to endure this persecution, you need to understand that Jesus sat down. He finished the work. There remains no wrath for the people of God. Don't misunderstand what's happening. Later in, in chapter 12, he says, God disciplines those he loves as sons. Don't be surprised at what's happening. But it's of inestimable worth for you to understand that Jesus finished the work of making you beautiful in God's sight as you're going through trials. It's vital to know for living. It's vital to know for dying. Living the Christian life, if we're unsure of the finished work of Jesus, is actually not living the Christian life at all. It's not the obedience that comes from faith, as Paul talks about it in Romans 1.5. You know, Augustus Toplady, who wrote the hymn, Rock of Ages, um, put it very well in a hymn that you might know, Rock of Ages, right? But do you know what he actually originally titled that hymn? He originally titled it, A Living and a Dying Prayer for the Holiest Believer on Earth. That's the name of that hymn, it's kind of a mouthful. But, but listen to this verse. Could my zeal no respite know? I, I tell this to students all the time. Even if you could be fired up for Jesus all the time, and, and so many of our students, that's what they think the Christian life is about. Uh, Bill Boyd, who did RUF years and years ago, used to say, almost every student that I meet with is trying to get back to a mountaintop experience they had in middle school at camp. And they think that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it feels like to be a Christian. That's why we want to come and, and speak more truthfully about what it actually feels like to be a Christian. Could my zeal no respite? No. That means even if I could be fired up for Jesus all the time, could my tears forever flow? Even if you could weep over your sin the way it deserves, what's the next line? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. That is what we need to live and to die. But let me just take a brief excursus and say this. It's so important that we keep God speaking and God's dying together. Lose the connection and you lose Christianity. What do I mean? Well, if you believe that God speaks, but he didn't really do enough, he didn't really do what's required for us to be clean from our sins, or if you believe he died but doesn't really speak to us authoritatively about what it means or how he wants to live, well, then you're in deep weeds. And RUF will always be about these things. Christ Press will always be about these things. God has spoken and Jesus has died on the cross and finished the work. He wrought salvation on the cross for his people. As I said, if you believe that he speaks without really believing that he purged our sins, then you're like a lot of people who've grown up in evangelical churches, I'm afraid to say. They believe that God has told them what to do, 
And every time they go to church or read their Bible, they get more and more info, but they can never rest in God's love because they feel like they can never do enough. Richard Lovelace, who was a, a professor and actually um, has, has uh, influenced a lot of people through his book, Dynamics to Spiritual Life, said this, that somebody who kind of is, is a Christian but doesn't really understand the finished work of Jesus is actually psychologically worse off than an unbeliever. Because every time they go to church, every time they read their Bible, they just get more and more information about what they're supposed to do. But they don't know how to rest because they're not sure of what Christ did. The truth of the gospel, that if you're in Christ, God looks at you as beautiful in his sight because the beauty of Jesus has been applied to you is absolutely vital. So it's vital that you know that God did more than just speak, but it's also important for you to understand that Jesus didn't just die. God really has spoken authoritatively about how we are to live. And if we don't believe that, we fall into what we call cheap grace. The belief that God died and loves me, therefore I can live any way I want. But think about this. While it might seem like a good deal, he does all the dying and we get to go on and live however we want, in actuality, it leaves you with this cold, distant relationship with God. And it actually fills you with massive doubts about his love. Have you ever been told by someone that they love you, but they didn't seem to care at all about how you live or where you set your heart? You know, the most insecure students I ever have are always those whose parents set no limits whatsoever. It may seem so annoying for your parents to say, you can't do that. But if they never say that about anything, then you've got to begin to wonder, do they really care about me? One of my favorite verses in Isaiah 54, your maker is your husband. Got to keep those together. The one who made us and says, this is how I made you to live, is also the one who marries himself to us. Well, that brings us to the, to the last part here. Because God does care about how we live. And he teaches us here how to use God's word to do battle against those things that vie for our heart's affection. And you have to know, we live in a world with lots of competing words that are very powerful very persuasive. We mustn't be naive about this. Right theology is important, but it's not enough actually. What has our heart? Do we see Jesus as more believable and beautiful? It's one of the reasons we sing these hymns that we sing. I was thinking about all of the trash talking that is in these hymns. You know, it's Reformation Sunday, and I love um, the, what we call the battle hymn of the Reformation. A mighty fortress is our God. And do you, do you, I don't know if you remember that Luther sneaks in a little trash talking in that hymn. He says, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, endureth. And who's the them? Well, it's the church authorities and the civil authorities. If it was up to them, the gospel would have been squelched. So no thanks to them. God has broken through. God has not left himself without a witness to the truth and the reality. Why does the writer spend half of this chapter talking about angels? Seems strange, doesn't it? What you need to understand is 
Angels are actually very good candidates for false gods. And there was actually a stream of Judaism that really did, in, in, in essence, put a, a kind of worship angels in a sense. So it may be some of that um, going on behind the scenes of this passage. But think about it. Now, in the Bible, angels are not these like nice, comforting, you know, little beings that come and say, they're there, everything's going to be right. No, the things that angels always say when they show up is what? Fear not. <laughs> because they're awesome in the true old sense of that word. They're frightening. Angels are a good candidate for arrival to Jesus. If you're suffering, who do you want? You want Dikembe. You want seven foot two guy, right, on your side. You want Saul rather than puny little David. You want the one who seems powerful that you can put your hope and trust in. But what does the writer of Hebrews say? Really? Seriously? Like, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit down until I put all of your enemies beneath your feet? He never said that. He never said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased to the angels. To the angels, he said, go, go, go do my bidding. You're my servants. Jesus is my son. That's the name that he's inherited that's so much greater than those. And if you are in Christ, that's who you are too, right? Jesus, or God says, I have never said to your idols, Everything was made for you. I never said that about the idols. So why do we say that to our idols? Why do we say, you are my God, save me? Now, if you remember Isaiah chapter 44, you may want to go back and read it. But it's this amazing chapter. Isaiah is so full of sarcasm. He says, the one who worships idols is like the guy, the craftsman, who makes, takes a block of wood, half of it he uses to roast his meat and say, ah, oh, I am warm, see the fire, and half of it he makes into an idol, he carves an idol, and then he says, you are my God, save me. What are the things that we look to and say, you are my God, save me? Oh, sometimes we don't say it so explicitly, but say, you know, do we say it to our bank account? You know, what is it that we rely on for peace about the future? Comfort as we look back. Is it the gospel or is it the things that we think we have under our own control? And Hebrews teaches us how we can use the scripture. It's not enough just to look at your idols and say, eh, you know, that, that has no value. No, God wants to actually teach us how to take the scripture and use it to trash talk our idols. And here's the thing, whatever you use the scripture, whenever you use the scripture to say to our idols, you can't save me, it's not, it's not vain words because God can back it up. This is why it's so important what we believe about the scripture, that we're convinced that we're beautiful in God's sight, not just because we want it to be true, but because God said it's true. And that's, therefore we can take that word and use it to do battle. We're gonna sing this, this hymn. 
that I, that I think captures this so beautifully. It's called, Hast Thou Heard Him, Seen Him, Known Him? We're going to sing it a little later. Listen to this. What can strip the seeming beauty, seeming beauty, from the idols of the earth? Not a sense of right or duty, but the sight of peerless worth. Tis that look that melted Peter. Tis that face that Stephen saw. Tis that heart that wept with Mary can alone from idols draw. We have the scriptures to see that Jesus is more beautiful and believable. We can take that to the bank. I remember one time I was, uh, I had stopped at an ATM down on uh, Broadway, right down where that McDonald's is, there's an Exxon across the street. And I remember popping in there and there was a, there was a little ATM machine in there. And as I'm standing there, you know, waiting for, for my $20 or whatever I was trying to get to come out, I noticed somebody had left their little slip of paper. Somebody had been there before me up on top of the uh, ATM. So of course I looked at it. <laughs> and, and the balance was seven figures. And I thought, this guy needs a money manager. <laughs> like who keeps that much money in their savings account and earns no interest? But then I thought, how would my life be different if I had that money in my bank account? Brothers, we have something, sisters, we have something so much better. Jesus died. Jesus is raised and even now intercedes for us before the Father. We can believe it because God has said it. And God has not stuttered and God does not lie. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken truly that we could believe solidly. We pray that you'd open our hearts to see this beauty, this firm foundation that we have laid in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.